Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 21, and this week I spoke to Lisa Anderson Schaefer of Zelma Rose. Lisa is a fine artist and sculptural jewelry maker living in the Bay Area in California. We talk about her grandmothers, Zelma and Rose, respectively, who introduced her to needlework and crochet as a child, and how she's used these crafts to inform her art practice today. Lisa tells me about her fiber of choice in her jewelry making practice, and how when she works with these fibers, it's like a dance to her. It just feels right in her body. When we get into how Zelma Rose came to be and how she approaches it present day, Lisa opens up about her experience transitioning from her career to making art and jewelry full-time, and how her experience as a mother has shaped how she's shaped her business. Listen on for our whole chat. Show notes for this episode are available on my website, closeknit.com.au slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'd like to take a moment to thank this week's episode sponsor, Gradient Yarn Australia. Gradient Yarn Australia is an independent yarn dyeing business started by Bryony Mannering. Bryony is an independent yarn colorist, teacher, and knitwear designer based in Southeast Melbourne. Her passion for craft led her to yarn dyeing in 2012. A few years later, she started working on knitwear design. Now, she's known for her yarn line of smooth graduated colors and her knitwear designs that artfully display these color schemes. A typical day will find Bryony dyeing and experimenting with dye techniques in the morning and knitting in the afternoons. Her latest yarn evolution is utilizing local yarn and combining natural dyes. When she was younger, Bryony nearly ran away with the local circus. The only clowning around she has time for now is with her two little boys. You can find Gradient Yarn Australia at www.gradientyarnaustralia.com and on Instagram, Gradient Oz. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Lisa Anderson Schaefer of Zelma Rose. Hey, Lisa. Hey. How are you going? I'm going good. Good. Doing really good. good. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk yeah. to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for coming on. So it's uh, morning, my time in Tasmania, and it's in the afternoon-ish? It's, yeah, it's late afternoon in California. Yeah. How's the weather? It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's hot. We get a couple of 100 degree days up here in Marin, and we've had two of them in a row now. Today's a little bit cooler than it was yesterday, but there was um, a wildfire, actually, uh, on Sunday, right over the ridge from where we live. We live backed up against a preserve, and there were all these sirens, and we were like, Wow, hmm, that kind of sounds weird. And we all kind of looked at each other like, what's going on? And so then we heard helicopters and I go out in front of the house and I look up and I'm like, oh, there's a helicopter. Oh, it's one of those ones that dumps water. It must be going to the mm. fire that's like really far. Oh my gosh, it's dumping water like right there. Yeah, okay. Because there's the one in Big Sur still going as well. Has that one been put out? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Jeez. Um, this was only 10 acres and it got contained like they had it okay. done and it was over in two hours they had it contained but um so I came in and I was like uh honey we gotta get like some stuff in backpacks and boxes and and like you know do all that stuff yeah and he was like what's going on and I'm like you know that like those sirens and stuff like it's right over there and so my daughter was hanging out and I'm like very carefully trying not to panic like I'm just gonna put a bunch of stuff in the bag and 
my studio is in my house, right? So yeah. I come in here and I'm like, I'm working on the new collection. So I've got all this stuff. I have dollar signs in my eyes. Like, what can I, like, Yeah. what do I need to put in a, you know, like a Costco bla- plastic bin that fits in the trunk of the car? Like, what do I need to take with me? Mm. And I threw a bunch of stuff in a box and I was like, well, if we have to evacuate, I guess that's it. But um, yeah. we didn't have to. So that's good. That's but really it's good. It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> I All think, this to say, it's very hot. I think hot. the fire just like randomly burst into flames itself. I don't think it needed a catalyst. It was just like, it's hot too enough. hot. Spontaneous yeah. combustion. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The trees were like, can we please get out of here? Because it's just so hot. Yeah, especially for redwoods. They're like, just no. <laughs> yeah. We like our yeah. fog. <laughs> I think I think the whole mountain was in protest. It was just like, no, we're done. This is yeah. as hot as we can take it. Have you always been in Marin? No, I lived in San Francisco for 16 years. Okay. And I moved to San Francisco in 1997, January of 1997. So I'm coming up on 20 years a Californian, which is crazy. Um, I will have lived pretty much as long in California as I did being from New York. Yeah, okay. Which is you know, you don't think about that. Like I met people when I first moved out here who were like, I've lived in California for 25 years and that's longer than it. And I'm like, wow, that's that'll never happen. And then <laughs> here, <laughs> Next I, thing you know. here I am. And my husband's been out here for 20 years and we're both people that moved out for school and like never okay. went back. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I might just hop into some of the usual podcasty stuff. Um, what is your fiber of choice and what sort of craft medium do you gravitate towards the most? I love cord and mm. I'm specific in that I love cord and I don't love rope, <laughs> which I didn't know. I, okay. I'm very utilitarian and I'm very much into industrial materials and things that can be used for different purposes. So when I started wanting to work with fiber, I I was working doing um, cross-stitch and embroidery and needlework type of work with my jewelry. And then I had this idea of, I I was drawn to rope. I was drawn to more fibrous materials, more textiles, but I didn't know what I wanted to play with. So I was looking at all different kinds of things. And the more intimate I got with rope, the more I was like, I don't, I don't like it. Like it's twisted and it didn't have... I guess how I really felt was that it was too interesting in its own right. And I was like, if I'm going to do something and I, and my mind was kind of swimming with all these textural ideas and weavings and I, I hadn't come up with this yet, but I kind of thought maybe that's where I wanted to go. And the more I played with rope, the more I was like, the twist totally changes it. And my whole objective in designing is to create something that much like nature kind of grabs you at two points. So you're looking at a redwood tree from really far away and you're like, wow, that's really interesting. But then if you get up underneath the tree, you're like, wow, that's really interesting Mm -hmm. for two completely different reasons. And I felt like something about the twist and rope, the, the, um, often nylon, you know, a lot of rope has plastic in it. Mm-hmm. And it changes the surface of it and the way it works and the way it feels and the way it bends and the way it drapes. And 
the more I thought about what I wanted to do and played around with weaving and knots, the more like the draping became very important to me. Mm-hmm. So I discovered, you know, it was kind of on my own, like, oh, well, there's rope and then there's cord and cord is this totally different thing. And cotton cord is actually, you know, a, a braid, like a round braid and there's a fiber in it and that's nylon cord too. All cord is just this round braid and has either the same thing in it or a different material in it. Yeah. And I found this cotton cord that I really it just felt good to touch. It was the millimeter size that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. It was comp- it's 100% cotton, so there's no like sheen to it. When I dye it, there's not anything interfering with it's it's matte. You know what I mean? Like it, I dye it, and it like there's nothing to interfere with the dye or anything. Yeah, and it and much like when you're hand dyeing cotton it's part of the normal equation. There wasn't anything else for me to enter into the science. It was like, okay, the amount of dye, the colors I'm mixing, the amount of time, the temperature, the water, how much cord I'm putting in for Mm. that. That's kind of the chemistry of it. Yeah. And finding the, you know, the cord was really trial and error, but I use it for everything. The jewelry, my fine art pieces. Mm. It just has this beautiful drape and it crochets really nicely. And I just really like, I I had like a very deep physical connection to it, which I know probably sounds a little bit strange, but. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's, you you know, you have it right when you like, at least for me, when I can physically feel it in my body, like I was Mm. moving and I was moving the fiber in my hands and it was like this dance that I was doing. And I was like, okay, this is, this is it. And you're like pulling it through and it just feels right. And then it felt right. Every other thing I did with it, like, um, you know, pulling it apart, I get these like crazy tassels and that's just because it's braided around it and then the color changes and yeah. Okay. Then it became like, okay, so this is the, this is what I'm working with. I'm working with the cord and then do I dye it? Do I not dye it? And then the Mm. science of the hand dyeing and then am I embellishing it? Am I not embellishing it? And those were kind of like the three factors that almost like if I'm doing, you know, watercolors, like pulling from the paints, like those are my three little (laughs) pots Mm. of paint and each design, I'm just like, you know, pulling from each of those colors to create the next thing. Yeah. And you're primarily creating um, jewelry pieces and fine art pieces. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through like, because a listener can't see what you're wearing right now, can you, how would you explain it? What would you say? It's my jewelry is very textural, yeah. I feel like, um, and sculptural. I've had people describe it as architectural, mm-hmm. and as a, I have a handful of customers that just every, you know every season they love the Astero necklace, which is this, and it's a flat weave. It's the com- it's a combination of a weave and a knot that I came up with after basically going on YouTube and watching video after video and you know it's like a rabbit hole like you look at one weave or one knot and then you're like oh what's that one and what's that one and then let me try it with three strands let me try it with eight let me try it you know how does it look if I instead of bring it over I bring it under and then do this twice and Hmm. so I just kind of experimented for a while and came up with this uh, you know I say it's hand off loom weaving it's sort of a knot it's not really the 
physicality of it is like a braid. Okay. And it, it lies flat. It's really lightweight. And people will buy this in, you know, every season they'll buy it in a color, mm. a different color that I come out with. And they feel like that's the cornerstone of their wardrobe. Like this is what they do. They do this necklace and then they wear whatever, you know, even if it's just a plain black sweater, even if they're like the all black person, you know, with like the black cigarette pants and the plain black sweater or whatever, then they just do this necklace. So it definitely is a, a statement piece. And it, mm. the people that are really attracted to it are like, I mean, like a beat on honey. <laughs> they're just like all over it. And then some people just look at it and they're like, I, I don't even know how I would do that, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's big and it's there. Um, but I, I like it. I like, I like everything about it. I like the product, the finished piece. I like how different it looks in colors. And I really love making it. I love making it. I'm never in production doing this weave. Like, when is this going to end? It's like yeah. this little dance I get to do. <laughs> And it just feels good. That's pretty amazing. It feels, <laughs> yeah, it feels good. I keep waiting. And there's been other, um, for spring, summer 2016, I came out with a bunch, just, I came out with, I don't know, maybe four other necklace designs. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to release them all. Mm. I, you know, I had maybe six or seven. And I, th I whittled it down to what I thought was, significant and I released them all and I was like I'm just gonna see what happens like what's the response gonna be and people definitely gravitated towards some more than others mm -hmm. it's always the one that takes the least amount of time for me to make that's always the one <laughs> that people love and I'm like oh my gosh that I you know and, and of course it's like then what's worth more like the design or the process and like well if you're the artist then the design you know it's it's in that whole big bag of like artist, designer, maker kind of thing. But yeah, it can get complicated pretty quick. But um, it's always the easiest one. And that was the same case with, you know, the one that kind of floated to the top. But, um, and and two of the ones that I that I just released, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to release them again because they just... I didn't like making them as much, not that they were like, not that it was a bad experience or anything. I was just like, I don't, I don't enjoy making this as much. So I'll try something else, this collection and see, maybe I like it more or not or whatever. But um, yeah. that, that's one of, I think that's one of the perks of being in the fiber realm is that it is, you know, it's, it's such an ancient practice, right? I mean, yeah. it was one of the first things that people had to create with blankets and, you know, structures and mm. clothing and food, you know, making like fibrous foods and things like that. And so it's so ancient, but in terms of popularity, it's growing, but it's still kind of under the radar enough that I don't feel the pressure to have the publication calendar that some of my friends do that are in the metalsmithing world where they're like, oh, my holiday stuff has to be ready by July because I have to pitch it and then I have to have the casting done by this date because, you know, of all these other things. And I just kind of, you know, I'm on like the periphery of that, which is nice to not mm -hmm. have to live by that. Like I can, 
My colors for this season took me three times as long to get as it normally does with the dyeing. Like it was just this pro, just went on way longer than it usually does. And that was like, okay. Yeah. You know, I was like, all right, so I don't get everything out till October 1st. Like, you know, okay. If, you know, if a magazine or something likes it, they're going to post it or write about it whenever. Mm. There's not, you know, it doesn't need to be in like the holiday top 10. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. I hadn't thought about um, the difference between textile and fiber arts and maybe metalsmithing or do you see it with just like your jewelry making friends or other fashion people or? Yeah. uh, Well, I have a really good friend who's a lingerie designer and she does this incredible insertion lace. I mean, her sewing skills are, she's really gifted Mm -hmm. and her lingerie is beautiful and it's vintage inspired and she is controlled by the seasons. I mean, she, she already has, under wraps like spring summer 2017 because she has to do that because she goes to New York you know she Mm -hmm. goes to New York Fashion Week she pitches it to magazines and press and it's expected that she's got spring and summer figured out and I can kind of you know lean back a little bit with the hand dying and look and say okay these are the projections but what am I actually seeing people wear and what am I responding to yeah that's for you know fall winter 16 17 and then I can kind of grab from that instead of being you know thinking about a place where my head isn't even at yet and maybe someday that'll be different but I don't I don't feel similar pressure Mm -hmm. do you think is there like I guess I'm curious about um whether that there's a level of that with like size of a business, like how long have you been, how long has Zomero has been your, is it your full time thing? Is, do you do it full time? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, yeah, I do Zomero's and then I'm a yoga instructor. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Too. And that was for pure, I, that was nothing that I planned. That was like a personal development accident that happened last year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really great personal development accident. But um, so I do that too. But that's more of like just because I like it and um, I have private clients. I don't teach classes. So it's a little bit because I want to take the classes myself. I'm like, no, this is for me. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I started the business six years ago and it was not a plan. Um, When I speak at conferences and stuff, I'm like, mine was the, you know, life in chaotic crisis pregnancy business plan, which I don't recommend for anyone (laughs) out there, you know, and I'm sitting up on a panel with people that are like, well, when I left my day job and I'm like, I came home from my day job and looked at my husband and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And he looked at me and he was like, good, because I don't think you've been happy the whole time you've been doing it. Hmm. And then I dropped to the floor, hysterical crying and was like, and he just looked at me, he's like, okay, what's next? And I was like, well, I taught art for a long time, so I could probably get a job. I was a I was a psychotherapist in private practice. Okay. That was what I was doing for the handful of years um, before my daughter was born. And I was the director of counseling services at the Fashion Institute of Design and Mer- Merchandising, FITM in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I was in private practice, which I thought was going to be my dream job. When I was in school, like FITM hired me before I even graduated. Like I was like, this is my dream. This is what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. I'm going to have this job and private practice for the rest of my life. 
And then, you know, life caught up with my husband and I really quick. We had like an 18 month time period where I think between us, we lost five or six family members in a year and a half. Like, and then our, like our dog got sick. We had to put our dog down. Like it was just all, I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, and we were trying to get pregnant and it just, the intensity level just kept rising and rising and rising. And I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And I was working with, um, you know, older adolescents at the school and older adolescents in my practice, some of whom were in crisis. And the more we were working on starting the family, the more I was like, you know what? You, my husband didn't decide this. Our future family did not make the decision to be available for emergencies, to Mm. have to go to court dates, to do all these things. Like, this is what I decided to do with my job. And it was a really great run, (laughs) you know, like I enjoyed it, but I think that time is over. Mm. And so, you know, then my husband and I have this conversation in complete crisis. And I said to him, well, I I think after having worked at a psychiatric facility for adolescents, I could probably get a job teaching teenagers pretty easily. I don't, you know, with my Mm -hmm. teaching experience and that, like, I think anyone would put me in front of a room of teenagers and think I'd do okay. Yeah. And um, I got a job teaching visual arts at a nonprofit called College Track in Oakland, like right away. I mean, Mm. I think there was a job offering and maybe a month and a half later I was working. Yeah, good. And then I was, you know, transitioning out of my private practice and out of work, which takes, you know, time. It takes like a year because you have to refer your clients out and all of this. And um, then I got pregnant and I was just, I had put like this puzzle together of work that was working, um, the college track, and I was doing a couple other things. And I started making like crazy when I was pregnant. Like my creative energy was just off the chart. I couldn't stop. And I had never made product before. I'd been a fine artist. Mm. So I had done painting and had this very solitary studio life where, you know, my husband would like slide the cold cuts under the door, (laughs) throw a burrito (laughs) at me because I hadn't eaten in like a day because I'd just been like locked in the room, like, you know, working on something. And um, I thought, gosh, you know, it might be really interesting to make a product, to Mm. make something and then see what someone else does with it. Like, how do they wear this? How do they interpret it how do they make it part of themselves because I'd never done that so I started making jewelry really different than what my pieces look now but started nonetheless and a friend came over one day just to hang out and she was like you actually have a collection of stuff do you know this and I was like really she's like yeah you know there's this thing called Etsy Hmm. and I was like yeah I'd heard of it and she was like well I'm going to come over next week I'm going to be in your neighborhood I'm going to shoot photographs of all the stuff and we'll just just put it up on Etsy and see what happens I was like okay and I put it up on Etsy and not that it was like you know a home run or anything but then sort of my focus became wider and I noticed oh there's like these craft shows that are happening in the city and that's when like Renegade and all those even though they've been around for you know a handful like nine years I think but six seven years ago was when they really started to kind of make their mark or decide what they wanted to do. And so I just kind of slid into this thing that was happening. And uh, my daughter was born and I was completely surprised that I didn't want to do anything else but be with her 24 hours a day. (laughs) Mm. And I didn't know that's how I was going to feel, but I was like, 
this is what I was meant to do. I was put on this earth to be a mother. And if anything else happens in my life, then it's all gravy. Totally didn't think that was going to happen. But that's just kind of the way my heart like exploded and it never kind of put itself back together after she was born. And um, I thought, well, let's, you know, my husband was like, well, what we're doing is working. Like, let's see if it's still working a year from now. And really for the first three years, it was like, okay, let's see if it's still working. Let's see Mm. if it's still working. And over that, you know, my business grew slowly, but I also, you know, have pulled the brake a lot because it's still been, you know, my daughter's going to be six and it's still very much being, but for me about being able to take her to the bus and be the one who picks her up and she doesn't have to go into aftercare, before care, any of that. Mm-hmm. And I have friends whose sanity relies on that, you know, like they're fantastic parents, but they have made different choices in the way they've done it. And for me and our family, this has been right. And it's still kind of, you know, I'm coming up on like the busiest time of the year and January 1st will hit and I'll kind of look back and I'll do my taxes and like send them off to the CPA and I'll have this kind of half a day in my studio of being like, is it still working? Did it still work? Did I accomplish my goals? Did I do work that I'm proud of? Mm. Was I able to be flexible around my daughter's schedule? Did I feel like an artist? Did I feel like a businesswoman? What, you know, just ask myself a lot of questions. How was it financially? And it just kind of goes from there (laughs) Mm -hmm. year year after year. I just kind of take stock and see. But six, six years is a long time. Like my friend and I were just talking about this. We started our businesses at the same time and we've been around long enough now to have outlasted things. Mm. And that starts to get really interesting because I don't feel like, you know, I have a really great, loyal, dedicated following, but I don't have like a million Instagram followers. You know, I'm not like yeah, yeah. <laughs> blowing up the social media seed and all this stuff. And it's just, you know, it's just been a steady climb. And sometimes a decline and then a climb and like sometimes a plateau. But mm-hmm. it, it there was never this like I lit a match or pulled the pin and threw the grenade. And it was just like, whoa, all this stuff's <laughs> happening at once, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I've been around longer now than some of those people that were like, yeah, you know, and like um, social media stars and all that. And then to look and be like. Yeah, it's just kind of been a steady, a steady, slow burn. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really curious to talk to people more about, if they're happy to, obviously we don't have to talk about this, um, more about sort of the nitty gritty of the finances of it, because like, it's a, it's an interesting time to be alive. It's a, it's challenging (laughs) Mm -hmm. financially, I think. And I imagine um, San Francisco Bay Area life can be, uh, you know, <laughs> it's an, it's an expensive place. Um, yeah. and without like putting you too much on the spot about this sort of thing, I just, I'm always curious if people are willing to share more of the, the actuality of how they make it work, you know, the like, yeah. um, partnerships involved, the, you know, when you looked at that, your taxes that year, what, what would, have you ever had a year where you were like, wow, that didn't work? You know what I mean? Like, how oh, did you, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and in very different ways. Like, I think the highest year of revenue I had was not last year, the year before. Mm-hmm. And 
I was, I didn't realize it, but I realized very shortly after that year ended when I took stock, like I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off Mm. and I was reaching for so many things. It it was like, I was trying to put together a, um, a collection of stories instead of being in my own story. Mm. So I was just saying, yes, like, yes. Oh, I'll partner with you. And I'll do this on the blog and I'll be a contributor. And I was doing a ton of blogging and a ton of contributing, which I really like actually. It's fun for me to do the photography and the styling and to partner with companies. What I didn't realize at the time was that for me with my time and my business, I'm trying to build relationships, Mm. long lasting, meaningful relationships with my customers and with partnerships. Because just in how I spend my time and what's important to me, which is to be available to my child, the cost benefit analysis of kind of partnering with all these companies and going, oh, okay, well, I've got X amount coming in this month from this company and that. And I made the assumption that some of these companies I was going to develop long lasting relationships with. And that was not the case. I mean, and rightly so the business of partnering, especially when it's as a contributor or it's social media driven is to spread your seed as far and wide as you can. Mm. So no one wants to work with even a blogger or like an Instagram star who has a million followers. No company wants to work with them for longer than a year. Mm. You know? Okay. And if they have a very long lasting relationship, then they then they've worked something out and they've really hit a very you know, they've hit a a pivot pivoting point for both parties involved but a lot of it's just you know a couple months or six months or whatever and I have found some companies that I've worked longer terms with but the interesting thing is that it's been around my art and not around contributing okay but that year I was like doing I mean I was speaking at conferences I was doing a lot of blogging I was just saying yes to everything Mm. to see how much I could get myself out there and in the end it was just an insane year and I thought yeah you know I made I made a lot of money but also like <laughs> where did it where did it get me mm. you know and then the next you know and then the next year I didn't I, th- I, I think I made a little bit more than half the yeah. following year yeah just making decisions and being like, I mean, I was like weeding a garden. I was like, I got to pull this. I got to pull this. And then I completely changed my designs. I had a men's line that I completely let go of because I was like, you know what? I, anyone can make a bow tie. Really? You can Mm. go, it's not hard. You can go buy a pattern or not. You can make, I'd made a pattern, get a sewing machine. Not, it doesn't even have to be an industrial one. Get a hundred dollar sewing machine from Target. And you can make bow ties. It's not hard. And I I felt like I had an audience. I had a lot of men customers who felt like I had some specific design eye that people responded to. But for me as a creative person, as an artist, I felt like I didn't feel like I had anything different to say about mm. the bow tie. Yeah. You know, I was like, I can pick these fabrics and these are cool and I do have an eye or whatever. But I don't think I really have anything different to say than J. Crew has to say about mm. a bow tie, <laughs> you know? And I felt like that's not if I don't if I don't feel like I have any a unique perspective on the bow tie or I haven't thought, oh, I'm gonna create a bow tie out of, you know, like collected weeds and like whatever. Yeah. You know, like there's people that make the wooden bow ties and stuff. Like that's something new to say. Yeah. 
I felt like I didn't have anything to say as a designer that was new or unique. So I closed that. And that was a big part of my business. Yeah. And then I started working with the cord and then I was like, okay, this is what, this is my unique perspective. Mm. This is what I have to say. Even beyond the needlework that I was doing, I was like, oh, this is, this is it. This is it. This is it. Yeah. But there was a lot of weeding. Um, and anytime you do that, you take a financial hit. I mean, my price point went way up. So my customer, a lot of my customers dropped off and then it takes a while to find new ones. So yeah. it can be a sobering reality. And I think you have to have, be the type of person that can roll with that and you have to be partnered with the type of person <laughs> that can roll with that sure. um, and see the bigger picture. And I think my husband is really good at seeing the big picture. Whereas sometimes I, you know, I'm here by myself. I don't have a team of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like, Hey, you guys, let's look at the numbers. What do you think? Like, what do you think about this decision? It's like, I'm just making the best decisions that I can. Yeah. Sometimes based on a month or six month projection, yeah. sometimes a year projection, but you know, I lose sight of it. And, um, my husband's always able to be like, okay, in the scheme of things. And one thing I heard recently that, that knocked my socks off that made me feel really good was, um, a friend of mine is an, is an outerwear designer and she has a, um, a social media person that works for her and her company. Mm. And they introduced themselves to me at, at I was doing um, West Coast Craft, I think. And the woman came over and said, oh, hi. So and so I just want to introduce myself. I said, oh, it's really nice to meet you. And we were just talking about businesses and, you know, how she feels like social media can help and hinder and this and that. And she was like, well, how long have you been in business? And I said, six years. And, you know, some people were like, wow. Like I said, because I've outlasted people. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she was like, oh, my gosh, your brand is still in infancy. Yeah, wow. And I <laughs> was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and she was like, fashion worldwide, six years is like, you know, nothing. And then she said, like, you changed your, you know, you really changed the look and everything of your brand last year. She's like, you're just, you're in infancy. And I thought, wow, that's. That's really an interesting perspective to hold at the same time as being like, I've been pushing this boulder up the hill for <laughs> yeah. six years. Like my for arms are tired, years. my rotator cuff is torn. Like, yeah. And then have someone say like, dude, you're in good shape. Like you have a recognizable brand. You're in infancy here. Mm. And I was like, whoa. Okay. Because, you know, the overnight success is never really an overnight success. <laughs> And not that anyone said that about me. No one's been foolish enough to say that about me because, like I said, it's been a slow burn. <laughs> but um, I do have friends that, you know, it's been said about them an overnight success. And they're like, that is just, you know, I was working on everything that I've put out into the world for the last 10 years, Yeah. you know, in journals and notebooks while I was at a job that I hated Yeah. so that I could you know, do something. And, and a lot of people make that move in crisis. I think I wasn't the only one. The more you talk to people, they're like, I just, there was shit falling all around me. And I was like, okay, that's it. And I handed in my resignation and was like, now it's time for me to make hand painted silk scarves or yeah. whatever the, you know, whatever the thing was, it's yeah. like, you get to that tipping point. And I feel like annually I'm still there with, cause one of my goals with success is like I said, to 
to be the type of parent that I envisioned for my family. Mm -hmm. And that's different for everybody. But for me, it's like, okay, so was this a year where I was able to do all the school stuff I felt like I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. all the scheduling and be present? And so far, yes. Like, you know, at the end of the year, I go, okay. And that'll change because my daughter's needs will change and she'll get older. Yeah. And then that will open up a new chapter or expand this one or whatever. But um, the freedom is both exhilarating and really scary. Mm. And um, financially, it's you got to roll with a lot of punches. And, and there's so much you have to pay attention to. But I feel like if you get stuck in the mindset of the minutia of it, then it's like every communication you make is hanging on a dollar sign. Yeah. Every single one. Like, oh, I didn't hear back from that person or I have to follow up again because this could potentially be, you know, and then it's like ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard place to be and stay creative. So, you know, I, I kind of like zoom in really tight and then I just... <laughs> have a couple weeks where I'll take a wider focus and be like, here's the things that have to happen regardless of how many orders I've gotten that week or that month or whatever. Like these are the supplies I need to order. This is what needs to happen. And sometimes you're in the green and sometimes you're in the red. And hopefully at the end of the year, it's been, you know, good enough to go (laughs) the next year. Yeah. But it is a reality and, and it's something that, you know, not a lot of, people talk about so directly yeah I think that that's too bad yeah thank you for sharing about that because I think um it's something that I ha- I guess I didn't talk too much about in early episodes but has always been something that's kind of on my mind and I appreciate when I listen to other podcasts that are creatives or people who are running small businesses or whatever the context is I just appreciate when people can be can talk openly about it and I also think it makes people more relatable or it makes it a less scary thing like oh Lisa's you know she's killing it she's making so much money and she has this life and you know what I mean it just makes it seem like oh my gosh I could never possibly even remotely do that sort of thing but then when people can get open about it and be like no there are actually a lot of real ups and downs and um yeah rolling with it kind of thing it's sort of I just feel like that humanizes us all a bit more and it makes it easier to connect and easier to understand that we're all just you know day by day kind of figuring it out exactly and and you know I think as artists we kind of give ourselves that reputation of like oh we're artists and it's different for us and to be perfectly honest there's not a person I know who's middle-aged that's not just making it day by day yeah at whatever job they're doing no kids kids whatever they've got car payments mortgage or they're paying through the nose for rent it's like whatever it is Mm. you know they've got kids they've got kids from a different marriage because they're married to someone who is remarried I mean it goes on and on and on you know (laughs) their parents are well their parents are unwell they've got stuff with their siblings like I don't, I really don't know anyone who's doing any job right now at this point in their life where they're just not like, they're not in debt. Then all of a sudden they are in debt. You know, they get out of college debt. Then it's like our car broke down on the side of the street and I have no way to get to work. So now I'm in vehicular debt. Yes, (laughs) yes. It's just like, it just kind of is, I think, this stage of life. For all of us, no matter what we're doing. And and yeah, you can make better choices than not, but 
sometimes the shit hits the fan and it doesn't matter what you do, you know, it very quickly levels the playing field and you're like, wow, okay. All right. (laughs) Fully. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and just ask you about, um, how you got started, not with Selma Rose and um, necessarily as it is now, uh, but how you got started making, like, was there something as a kid that somebody taught you how to do? And I guess making in the context of fiber arts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was that kid in school where everyone knew I was going to be an artist before I did. I don't know if you can think about like that kid in mm-hmm. kindergarten or elementary school, but when I was my daughter's age for sure, and I and I have friends back then who were like, "Oh yeah, there was no doubt in my mind you'd be doing what you're doing now." We don't know what the whole psychology thing was. We don't know what you were doing as a redhead, but today, yeah, you were going to eventually be blonde again and <laughs> <laughs> be an artist. Those are the two things, you know. Like yeah. that's kind of what we knew. Like that's who you are. So. Um, they're not surprised. And, and I had people take great interest in me as someone that was creative from an early age. My mom um, was a fine artist and then she became an arts educator. My dad, even though he was in finance, can build absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. And his father was a Norwegian carpenter and immensely creative. And so I just grew up in this place where people were always making. I mean, I never lived in a house that my parents hadn't restored completely. So anytime we moved, it was this, you know, stretch for them to buy the house. Mm. And then it was completely redone beautifully. And my dad would lay floors and build cabins. I mean, everything. And my mom would figure out, you know, how they were going to paint this and that, how they were going to solve this problem. So I just grew around in this environment where tons of stuff was readily, was happening in front of me. And then my mom had been a visual merchandiser for Bloomingdale's in Manhattan Mm. in the late 60s, early 70s. And that was a time when when the displays went down, they just threw everything in the dumpster and set it on fire. Like there was no like reuse place, right? There was nowhere that like the mannequins went or the fabric went. Like it was done and it just, they stored a little bit of it and then they just threw it in the dumpster. So my mom would take, you know, bolts Mm. of fabric home and trimmings and all this stuff. So in our basement growing up in whatever house we lived in, we always had, like, there was just stuff sitting there. And my mom would be like, well, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, and I was making dresses for Barbies and doing all this stuff. Um, So there were just always art supplies to use. And we museumed. Like, we weren't the family that was like, oh, we're going to Club Med for (laughs) for February break. It was like, what city are we going to so that we can go to museums? And maybe it was, you know, we were just going into Manhattan or we were going, you know, to California or somewhere. Mm-hmm. We were going to look at art. That's kind of what we did, art and science. And so it was all this kind of creative energy was all around me. And um, I learned fiber art, needlework specifically from both my grandmothers, which is where the name Zelma Rose comes from. Zelma mm-hmm. was my dad's mom. And Rose is Rosemary, or Rosina, actually. And she's still alive. She's like 95. <laughs> she lives in New York. And she taught me um, crochet and embroidery. And Zelma taught me how to cross-stitch. And two completely different methods. I was probably about nine. And Zelma lived down in Florida with Kingston, um, 
my grandfather, mm -hmm. and she would sit out on the sun porch and have the e the needlepoint easel, you know, with the painting for the needlepoint oh. on it, whatever it was. She liked to do these like lions and all these animals. Yeah. And she would sit there and it would be very quiet. Maybe we'd have music on or the radio, maybe not. And she would have a scotch to drink next to her. And she would just quietly work and she would point to the colors that she needed. Mm. She would go like, oh, mm -hmm. and I would hand it to her and I would just kind of watch her do it. And there was very little talking. I was just watching. And through watching her needlepoint and then seeing a lot of the family heirlooms, like hand cross stitch, things like that, she would kind of, that's how she was teaching me. I was just sitting there kind of watching. Mm. And then Rosemary, totally different personality, <laughs> taught me how to crochet and um, by hitting the table with a crochet hook like a metronome. So... <laughs> Be like, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep oh going. Gosh. And that was how I learned to crochet and knit and embroidery stitch. Mm. So I learned all that really quickly because I got super stressed and was like sweating. Like, oh my gosh, can I? <laughs> I was like, I better figure this out quickly so we can stop with the like metronome on the table. <laughs> oh gosh. So that was, to you know, totally different. And she's still like that. Like she plays the piano for an hour every day mm. and then she has her snack at the same time. You know, she's very orderly yeah. and precise, but also very creative. So a lot. But um, that was that was my first kind of instruction with fiber arts. And then I was always making Barbie clothes and um, Rose Rosemary's sister one of her oldest sisters, my great, great aunt, I think, great aunt, my great aunt, was one of the first um, women to go to um, Pratt for fashion design mm. in New York when Pratt was in, um, most of Pratt was in Brooklyn. So they, all, all the sisters, she came from a family of like eight or nine kids, all the sisters made their own clothes. Mm -hmm. you know, they were depression era family. So if you were getting married, we were making the wedding dress because there's no, no one has any money to yeah. have what, you know, like no one's money to get married or to have a wedding dress. So yeah. they all made their own clothes and made clothes for dolls and all that kind of stuff. It definitely helped to be from a family where this type of a life is not unusual like you know when I was like oh I'm gonna become a registered yoga instructor everyone was like oh okay <laughs> you know because creative people you're always like putting together a quilt of your life right it's like you're putting one thing down or putting something to the side maybe it's for 10 years um that's when I was in psychotherapy I hadn't I hadn't made a piece of art in six years which was a big mistake I learned not to do that again but, um, you know, when it was happening, I still felt creative, but it was like something was on a burner, something was off on a burner on the stove, and you just kind of, like, move things around. I think that's the gift of being creative, is that you don't get so scared and frozen when chaos does <laughs> ensue, because um, no, one, no one gets out without it, you know what I mean, um, sooner or later. And um, that's kind of, that's a test of which, which, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. I like hearing how, what families people have come from. And I think often it's like quite a common experience that people have learned a skill as a very young 
like as a child from a grandparent or a parent and then maybe forgot, forgotten about it for a while or picked it up in a really different form or it's now looking back on it, they can see how it's, um, how it was transformative for them, maybe in a way that they didn't realize as they were growing up. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it just kind of, I think these things live inside of you and mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to describe even how it all happens at times other than you wake up one day, you go in the studio and then you make this thing and you're like, wow, was that in there for like six months, six weeks, six days, or like a decade? What, <laughs> what, yeah. where was that sitting? Yeah. And then one day it's like the final piece comes in and how long was it waiting for that? I don't, I don't know. That's like the, one of the magical pieces for me. Mm. Yeah. Wow. What's your favorite part about the fiber arts? What would you say? Right now, there, there's a lot. Like, the fiber arts are kicking mm-hmm. ass right now. <laughs> there's, um, <laughs> yeah. I like how women-driven it is, however sexist that may sound. Whatever. That's too, <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> say yeah, it, please. <laughs> um, I really like that. And I think because yeah. of that, the community is really strong. Uh, I think we're very open to helping each other, very open to promoting each other, very open to getting to know each other intimately when we work in similar ways. And I think that that's unique. So weavers, no other weavers that do things that look really similar to what they do. I know other people that do fiber-based jewelry. That's really similar. You know, we like the same color palettes. Their pieces are very architectural, and we're just like, there's room for all of us. There really is room Mm -hmm. for all of us with each other and then in the greater world. Because it always seems like such a, um, it can seem crowded when you're just kind of looking at the community and you're like, oh, they know that person. Oh, of course I know that person, this and that. And yeah, we do similar things. I totally get that. And then you realize, okay, to someone, you know, sitting in an office somewhere, maybe in Manhattan or in Ohio or whatever, and they come across your website and they're like, that's the first time they've ever seen anything like that. They don't know about the other 10 people or 15 people or 15,000 people, how do we ever know really, across the world that are doing maybe something that could be similar. Maybe to them it isn't even similar. They don't know, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. that there is there's so much space for all of us. There really is. And before all of this, you know, like social media stuff, which the great thing about it is that we all get to meet each other, right? And like talk on Skype and see each other and you don't have to be in the same room and you can find a painter or a sculptor or an artist that you like on Instagram and like befriend them. And then before you know it, you know, you're in Chicago and they're in Chicago and you're meeting for dinner and you're like, this is so awesome. (laughs) This wouldn't have happened before. So you're part of this incredible community. But I think it also, that community takes away the solitude that the old artists in the studio had which I think there's Mm. still an important piece to that I think as difficult as that can be for many reasons for not getting the perspective for not getting to share ideas getting to communicate and certainly expose yourself to different ideas and artists there also is a piece of that that's like very necessary that if you're not careful and you really turn the outside world off every once in a while you can be completely consumed with fear to move forward with an idea 
mm-hmm. because you, you know you think like oh I got this great idea and then someone sends you a photo on Instagram and they're like is this you and I'm like oh. no but it kind of it's like oh this person you know in Indonesia is doing something really simple you know, like all of a sudden you discover that yeah. someone in a different place is doing something similar and um Sometimes that can really dim your fire if you don't remind yourself of that headset of like, there's room for all of us. They have Mm -hmm. their message. I have my message. He has his. She has hers. We're all part of this team. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But there's something, there's something I think necessary that maybe we miss now about that being in the studio by yourself, shutting out the outside world and being like, this is my Mm -hmm. moment. This is going to be my painting, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And nobody sees it until it's done. And you don't, you don't even have to converse with anyone else about it until it's done, unless you call it in, unless you welcome it. And now we're at a place where, you know, you look on Facebook and <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever whatever you make, whatever you've dedicated your life to, you're a soap maker. You're like, oh my gosh, I thought that I was the first one to combine cedar and rosemary, and then you're like, oh, but this person in Austin's doing the same thing. Well, what makes mine so different? Like that was, yeah, I worked really hard on that idea. So yeah, there's there's pluses and minuses. Yeah, well, it's like. Um... Sarah Belcher, who I spoke to a couple episodes ago about natural dyeing, she was saying, um, she said, comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. And I feel like <laughs> I just like keep going back to that because I'm like, yes, <laughs> every single day that happens to me in some capacity or another, usually via social media. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But I just think if, I think if we keep naming it, we keep calling it out, we keep talking about it, we keep making it a thing that people can relate to as being something that everybody experiences, the more we're going to all be okay with kind of realizing that it's a, it's something that we all deal with, but that that's all it is. And like, push it aside, move on kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah. I had an art teacher that said something to me at the art Institute that stuck with me and like immediately struck a chord. He was like, I'm going to tell you right now, that there's never been an original idea ever in the world and there never will be. And if there is one, it's not going to be you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because most likely it will be science and that idea will save the world. It's probably not going to be you. And so like, I remember half the class was like, Oh my God. (laughs) But I was like, Oh, thank goodness. Relief. I don't, complete relief like yeah. I don't have to worry about it mm-hmm. and he was like we share this conscious collective know that whatever you're making someone at least one person on the opposite side of the world that you've never met that you will probably never meet is doing the same exact thing at the mm-hmm. same time and if it wasn't the same exact thing at the same time it was in the past or it will be in the future but there's never been an original idea and that just on on those days when I when I get like, oh man, man, <laughs> I just remember that like, you're not in this to have the original idea. Yeah. If you want to be the person with the original idea, be a scientist. You know, find the new 
cure for cancer. Do that. Art is not about having the original idea. It's about expressing an idea, but it's not about having the original idea. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think piggybacking off of that, can I ask you what your biggest bit of advice is for someone? Would it be that? That's definitely part of it. Mm. Um, yeah, just no, just, and I don't know, I think it has to be something that resonates with you. You know, if, if that makes you feel super depressed, like there's never been an original idea ever, then don't use that. Use a different yeah. mantra. But that definitely is, is a relieving one for me. Um, I just think on many levels, like as an artist and as a human being, there's time. There's this thing called time and we don't get it back. You just don't. So no matter how scary something is, whether it's something like an email you get, like, oh, we want you to do this thing on TV. And you're like, I've never been on television. That scares the crap out of me. I can't go on television. Like, okay, but the clock keeps going. There's no dead time. No matter how crazy or chaotic your life gets, how grief-stricken you are, how excited you are, you know, you can't freeze time at a kick-ass birthday party. (laughs) Just like you can't freeze time at a funeral, right? Like it just keeps going. So stay present with that and reflect Mm. on that. And I think that that has led me in a positive direction, but also helps me in those reflective moments when I look back at the year and like when I had that year when I like made a lot of money and then I had a year where I made a little bit more than half, it was like, how was my time spent? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still here. Like nothing that we didn't lose the house. Like, not, you know, like, cause there's that too. That's, yeah. that's a financial reality that a lot of people face. Someone loses a job. You have to make different decisions, but mm. I think it still rings true as there's just no dead time. And, is, and that can work in your favor, and it cannot. But um, we don't get it back. And I think, you know, at the end of the year when I have that big business kind of, oh, I'm a, I'm a business person too, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's also, you know, one of my goals, like I said, is, is the way that I parent. And that time is fleeting (laughs) really fast Mm. so that's a huge part of my consideration like how was my time spent who did I partner with was it a positive experience and I think that can seem calculating but that's that's the one thing that it expires (laughs) it totally does yeah it does for everybody in every way um that there's nothing there's we haven't figured out a way to control it yet (laughs) that would be an original idea yeah you know (laughs) so I'm going to put you I'm going to task you with that for right right yeah figuring that out for us (laughs) yeah I'll get to work on that really quick (laughs) yeah totally yeah yeah that's great that's a good point a really good one um the last thing I really like asking people even though I know we've just talked about like the danger of social media (laughs) But um, it can totally be not social media. Just I use the word following because I guess 
that's the terminology these days, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I usually ask, who should we be following? Like, who do you know about that you're excited about that you want other people to know about? Oh, my gosh. I feel like every day I discover someone that is new and exciting and enthusiastic. And you kind of, it, the, the great thing about social media, especially Instagram, is it's like you throw this little pebble in there and there's all these ripples. And every once in a while, your ripple hits the same wavelength as another person's ripple. And then (laughs) you get really excited and they're really excited. And then you're sharing their work and they're sharing your work. And you're just like, you know, exploding all over the place. Um, One of, people always find this surprising, but one of my greatest joys and influences on social, on Instagram is photographers who take pictures of skateboarders. Mm, and that's whether it's like Vans, you know, the company does the skate shoes or it's like a skater magazine or there's a bunch of photographers. I can't name them off the top of my head, but um, that shoot skateboarders. Yeah, this is fascinating to me. <laughs> I love it. I love seeing I don't even know the names of the tricks. Like I'm not I don't skateboard, you know, like I don't know what they're doing. But they're like midair or they're like riding out on a railing or whatever they're doing. And it just like gets under my skin. It's like if I'm if I'm at a museum and I'm looking at a painting, like I start salivating. I see these images and I like the some primitive part of my brain just clicks in and I'm salivating and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so incredible and so beautiful and they're so precise. And there's this moment that's frozen and you don't know how it ends. Like, did the guy <laughs> totally break his arm and fall, or was he or she triumphant and like nailed the trick? Mm-hmm. we don't know <laughs> I'm just seeing this one moment that's caught in a movement and yeah. um that is really inspiring that gets me every time and and people are always like really and I'm like yeah I don't I don't know yeah, wow I love that <laughs> it's really they're really inspiring to me and I and it doesn't like I said it doesn't directly influence my work I can't say oh this colorway like no but it it fuels my creativity in a way yeah it gets me excited it gets me like oh yeah that's so cool what happened like (laughs) are they okay or or then if they're not like like Jerry Seinfeld does this funny bit about skateboarders where he's like you know those kids are going to be okay I never worry about skateboarders because they fall down so many times they break their arm but they get back on that skateboard yeah they're gonna be okay in life like they're just gonna they're gonna be okay yeah and maybe that's part of it for me like they you know they fall down and they get bloody and scraped and hit their head or whatever but like get back up they're still skateboarders yeah yeah that's funny (laughs) I like that it's totally different to any answer I've heard but I really like that (laughs) (laughs) um are there any fiber artists that you would recommend Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, my friend Carrie Crawford is Mineral Workshop. Okay. At Mineral Workshop at Instagram. She's she just as a person, she's such a gift to this world, but her art is um she's she's for me, she's one of those artists that I'm like, man, I wish that was my thing. But just knowing that like it wouldn't be in my inter like, no. But it's like mm-hmm. if you see somebody, um, like I had a fiber artist come up to me at a show one time about this necklace, and they were like, God damn, I wish I thought of that. 
<laughs> and that to me was like I said that's like the greatest compliment because I know that feeling like you just yeah. love something so much yeah. you're like man I wish I thought of that yeah. why wasn't I born Ellsworth Kelly I don't know but man <laughs> that would have been awesome right yeah and so Carrie is one of those women her work is just she makes these canvases on cotton that are hand dyed and they're like interpretations of aerial landscapes and they're just indigo and mind-blowing yeah totally mind-blowing yeah Yeah, cool have to check her out and put her in the show notes yeah she's great yeah and she's in fairfax we're both local oh nice that's great yeah it is it's really nice to have someone five minutes away who i can like bust in her studio and be like oh my god (laughs) help i have no perspective i can't even is this good yeah yeah what am i doing what am i doing yeah yeah. Awesome. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, I don't, I don't think so. No. Yeah. Cool. I think we covered some cool ground. That was really awesome. Thank you for chatting with me. Yeah, that was super fun. I'm so happy to do it. You've just listened to episode 21 of the close knit podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider reviewing and rating it on iTunes or sharing it with friends or doing whatever it is that you do with podcasts that you really like. (laughs) Um, And thanks again for listening. Till next time.